Hi, we're Bobby Kaiser. And David Scherzer, and you're listening to Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. I'm Tara Morgan. And I'm Rachel Friedman. Here at Steady State Podcast, we're really interested in backstories, real life experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. From indoor rowing to flat water masters to coastal and ocean adventurers, we celebrate you who represent the global humanity of our sport. Together, we disrupt and expand the narrative about rowing culture. If you're a first time listener, welcome. If you're coming back for another episode, thanks for being here. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Barb, Concept2, and EB5 Investors. Hey, Tara, how's it going today? Whoa, hey, Rachel, it's good. How are you? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good today. I'm pretty good today. I have a lot on my mind, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation we're about to have with Bobby Kaiser and David Scherzer. Yeah, it's part three in our series, and it's actually going to be the part four, excuse me, part four, and it's going to be the final chapter of our exploration for now. I mean, maybe it'll come up again um, into the global issue, if you will, of gender inclusion in rowing. Yeah, and when we started thinking about this, uh, it was really last fall at Head of the Charles in Boston. Um, We had seen this petition circulating that was written by uh, an organization called ICONS, and we're both like, what is this? I'm not an expert. You're not an expert. But I know that everything I watch, both from the far left and the far right and everybody in between, everybody gets really into the language of it. So today, we really want to let our listeners know that we're all learning. Like yeah. We're all figuring this out. And even though I represent um, the queer community as a member of the queer community for a very long time, and we have some guests on our show today that represent other aspects of the community. We have Rachel that represents the ally community. Everybody's still learning. Everybody's still figuring it out. So we appreciate your patience, but we also appreciate you listening and and having a dialogue with us about your perspective on this. Back to the icons. You know, we did get a better understanding in the episode with Dr. Mary O'Connor of where she was coming from and why she's spearheading and being the head of this executive committee. Um, we've learned just as much um, from Coach Ann Strayer in, in episode number two about this, uh, who is representing the youth movement. And then Coach Kevin Harris, formerly of Tulsa, and he's in episode number three of this series. And he really comes at it from this perspective of being a long, long, long time collegiate women's coach. It's good to, you know, just hear them all. And what I really appreciated about Coach Ann Strayer, she's coaching out in California where there's this real like openness and it is come one, come all come to the boathouse, the doors are open to everyone. And let's make that happen for kids of all stripes. And then with um, Coach Kevin Harris, like you said, coming from a long career at University of Tulsa, you know, he was able to pair that with, you know, living in America as an African-American man and then spending the last few years on U.S. Rowing's DEI committee. So he had a very round, full appreciation of this conversation. So I really hope everybody listens to um, all three first parts of this conversation on gender identity policy. Yeah. And interestingly, the way that we have approached who we have on the show is just who seems to come into our view, right? At, At the moment. And Bobby Kaiser, Dr. Bobby Kaiser, excuse me, Dr. Bobby Kaiser is a 
psychologist, uh, therapist out in Spokane, Washington, kind of in my neck of the woods out here, fairly new to rowing, a trans athlete, and really is like kind of having two major things happen, falling in love hard with rowing, like hardcore love affair happening with rowing. And at the same time, trying to fit in. But we have to appreciate that there are some journeys into the rowing boathouses and communities that we don't know about. And I think Bobby is really forging some new territory um, and also figuring out ways to use rowing. And we're going to ask them about that, how to use rowing to better society and better communities in general. And mm-hmm. tell me about David. You, you know David a little bit more. So I do know David, but I'm looking to, forward to this conversation because David and I have not spoken about this particular issue in depth. So I know I've just kind of scratched the surface with David on this and can't wait to hear what they have to say. So Dr. David Scherzer is based here in Washington, D.C. and learned to row at D.C. Strokes, where I was a member and coach for a very long time. I mean, he's still a rower there as a sculler. And just in the last year, I think on this last um, go-round of new members to the U.S. Rowing DEI Committee was selected to join that committee. And I think that that's a a real eye-opener, too, about U.S. rowing, that they've expanded what diversity and equity and inclusion means. So we're going to talk to David about that as well. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be good. All right. So we're going to welcome Bobby and David and uh, hope you enjoy and hope you learn some new, learn some new things. My name is Dr. David Scherzer. I am non-binary. My pronouns are they, them. I learned to row here in DC uh, with DC Strokes. I have rowed with DC Strokes for 11 years. When I am not at the boathouse, uh, I also am very active in the queer country dancing community, which is, uh, I guess, an odd thing to, to, to throw out there, but it's true. Awesome. Bobby? My name is Bobby Kaiser. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, I learned to row in Spokane, Washington, and I've been rowing for the Spokane River Rowing Association for two and a half years now, uh, and I volunteer coach for them as well. When I'm not at the boathouse, I am a psychologist and work a ton. I'm also a parent, um, although my kids are grown now. And also, I sing a lot in a community social justice and LGBTQ plus affirming choir. Sing tenor, and I'm also on their board of directors. I am trying to get all of my choir members to row and my (laughs) my rowers to sing. So, How's that working out Uh, so far? Well, um, so far, I think I have 10 new rowers this year who come from my choir. Um, Good we haven't job. Choir season yet, so I'm not sure if it's going to go the other direction or not. Interestingly, people seem to be more intimidated to sing than they are to get in a rowboat. I don't know why that is. You know, that's interesting because either way you're learning a new skill, but I think certainly for me as a non-singer, I would definitely feel hesitant to join a choir and say, I'm learning as I go in this choir. Yeah, I think part of it actually connects with some of what we'll talk about, I'm sure, which is that um, in singing or in becoming a team member, uh, I think you learn to use your voice. It naturally happens in, in an athletic sort of environment as a person does get more comfortable. But with singing, it's just like you, you put that out there right away. Like, I'm going to have to use my voice and get a little more comfortable with it. Um, 
And so maybe that's, I, I think that might be what's intimidating. It turns out that anybody who comes though, doesn't feel that way because it's a choir. So there's lots of people. And so they just all blend in together. Yeah, I love this idea of finding your voice. I talk to new coxswains about that a lot. Like yeah. day one, you're not going to have a coxing voice or a coxing personality, but in time you'll develop it and figure out what that is for you. For sure. We're recording this on a Thursday, and we'd love to know how your rowing week is going. I know lots of us were at U.S. Rowing Masters Nationals. I don't think that either of you were. So what have you been up to this week? So I uh, was thrown into bow seat in a double, I think, for the second or third time in three years. Um, so that was definitely uh, an, an experience, um, trying to stay in sync with someone else while also trying to uh, steer a boat that you're not used to steering. Um, comes with its its own fair share of challenges, but it was a lot of fun. Um, we managed to eventually come together and really work well as, as a pair. And then I, I got to go back into my single on Wednesday, which was a lot smoother and a lot kind of my comfort zone. And you've, you've been single sculling since sometime in the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah, there's, I think right now there's six of us who are, are sticking with the sculling program. And so um, we're occasionally in doubles, but more often than not in singles. Bobby, what have you been up to this week? I've had a great rowing week. Uh, Saturday, I was teaching four new people um, in a quad and uh, in two separate segments. So I had experienced rowers with them. That was so much fun. And then on Monday, I was in that same quad, coxing. So I've been learning a lot about coxing lately um, because I'm kind of in a position where I'm kind of coaching from the coxing seat. And that has been a real challenge, but I feel like I'm finally getting, you know, which side is port, which side is starboard when facing <laughs> the other direction. Um, so it's been going great. Yeah, it, it is weird to switch around and start looking where you're going and determine the port starboard. I don't know why that always hangs us up. <laughs> yeah, I, and I don't know why I can't count backwards. <laughs> I'm oh. like, two seat? I mean, three? I mean, four? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Well, wait until you get into a bow loader and then you're trying to cox when you can't see any of the rowers and you're, mm. yeah, that's a whole other challenge. Okay. So one way that we help our listeners get to know you is we put you through a lightning round of questions we call the hot seat. Are you ready? Ready. Ready. We're going to have each of you answer um, every question and we will go in this order. We're going to have David answer and then Bobby. Port or starboard? Both. Port. Bow seat, stroke seat, or engine room? Despite my team nickname, Stroke. Frequently engine room, but actually prefer Stroke. Head race or sprint race? Sprint, get it over with. Head race. Uni suit or tank and trout? Uni. Definitely a uni. Favorite coxswain command to give or receive? Including bow coxswains. Crush their dreams. We had a a race um, on our home river and I was in a, a four and we were we had open water on the next boat behind us and our coxswain call was crush their dreams to sprint to the end and, and really destroy their egos. Brutal. That's a little the opposite of the direction <laughs> I've been going. Um, relax. No worries. <laughs> That's a good one to use every day and a very good reminder on race day. Don't take yourself too, too seriously. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, favorite place to row. 
in DC, we have a section of the Anacostia that we call Narnia. And it's weird. You go under a railroad bridge and you would not know that you're anywhere near a city. And it's just beautiful. And I love it. I love my home water of Spokane River. Best piece of rowing advice you've ever received? You're not going to move the boat from bow. Alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard. Us tiny mighties, right? Back there. We want to do it. We want to do it all by ourselves. Yeah. It, this doesn't apply only to rowing, but um, a favorite piece of advice is um, you can't be it if you can't see it. Um, that helps me. One video, video recording is so helpful to me. Like, oh, that's what I'm doing. And I think it's been really helpful when I can give that also, but also in terms of diversity. You know, when um, when we can see somebody who looks like us in a boat, helps me imagine what that might be like and then empowers me to be able to do it. Last but not least, coffee before or after a row? Never, only water. After. All right, great. So uh, one thing that we talk to every guest about, and I know we're anxious to get into the topic, the hot topic at hand, but we want to find out what was happening in your life when you found rowing and what got you hooked, Bobby? Oh, what was happening? Two things. COVID was happening, <laughs> which meant the crew wasn't meeting a lot and also meant a lot less social activities. But I'm a very outdoors person, so I wanted outdoorsy things to do. Um, also, very related to our topic at hand, um, what had, was happening in my life. I used to be a cyclist, well, I still am, um, but I had had a gender-confirming genital surgery and I couldn't be on a bike seat for like three months or more. Uh, but after about six weeks, the doctor was like, well, you can do plenty of things. Um, and I asked about rowing and that was fine. So I got a single off of Craigslist, got on the water, realized I didn't know what I was doing. So I got some, got some lessons with my local club um, and they invited me in and I just fell in love with it from there. So it turns out that rowing is actually kind of part of my trans identity as well. Yeah. I think it's fantastic that you dove right in and just bought a boat. You weren't like, let me go somewhere and learn how to row first. You just said, let me see if I can figure this out. Yeah. Well, learn to rows weren't accessible. You yeah. know, they weren't, they weren't happening. And so I'm like, well, I really want to try this out. And so I was very fortunate that there happened to be one on Craigslist for a very reasonable price. And uh, so, yeah, went for it. Do you still have it? I do. Uh-huh. It's a, it's an echo. It's a very stable sort of open water feel. Mm -hmm. And what was it that you really fell in love with? And what was that transition like for you moving mm -hmm. from cycling to rowing? Oh, uh, I, well, one, I fell in love with the, the team aspect of the crew that I was rowing with. They were very affirming. I was very nervous about it at first because I didn't know. I mean, especially this is Eastern Washington, which for anybody who's not from Washington, Spokane is basically think Northern Idaho. So it's a lot of conservatism. Um, so I didn't know, am I going to show up with this rowing crew and, you know, get, you know, booed out of there? Or in contrast, I was warmly embraced and they were like, yes, definitely. You can come here as a non-binary queer person, Bobby. Like we have some other queer rowers, like, please come, come in. And so I really fell in love with that sort of attitude. We're a very non-competitive crew, which I love. I'm like, hey, let's just all get together and row this boat together which is really different than cycling. In cycling, you can, now I have a tandem bike, which is my favorite bike, but most of the time you're kind of, even if you're with a team, you're on your own apparatus. And so rowing is so different than that because we're all moving the same apparatus together. Um, and I loved that. I had a little bit of a challenge when it came to actually the, uh, the distance because 
cycling is long distance with the exception of track cycling. Uh, and so I'm used to, you know, a workout or an amateur race lasting, you know, two hours, not 20 minutes or less. So it's like that, that has been a little bit of a challenge to get used to. Yeah. I'll say like going from you know, a running sport or a cycling sport or anything, and then going to a four minute sport, yeah. you know, four or five minutes, you know, months and months and months of prep for four minutes. It's right. Definitely it's also crazy. not a sprint. <laughs> it's not a 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you think about the interdependence of rowing that you're as strong as your teammates, you know? I, I love it. I feel like it empowers a lot of people, including myself. I have rode with, with somebody who has a form of cerebral palsy and just th their comment of like, wow, I can move through the water like this um, was fantastic. And it was empower so empowering for us as a double to row together and do that. So to be part of it, also sometimes it's kind of challenging and I have to remember that I can't, like David said earlier from Val, that I can't pull the whole boat because I really like to try too hard sometimes. <laughs> so I had to learn early on, like your, your body's actually better off if you work with everybody, which sometimes means slowing down a little or not giving it a hundred percent effort instead of giving it 80% or something. So I've had to get yeah. used to that, but that's actually really good for me. And David, can you tell us a little bit about when you learned to row and what um, got you in the boathouse door down at the Anacostia Community Boathouse? So I was dating uh, a member of DC Strokes and I would frequently go with him to the different, you know, kind of club banquets or occasionally the Stonewall Regatta. And I, I was much lighter back then. And they would look at me and be like, do you want to be a coxswain? Because <laughs> I am short and I was light and they, they needed coxswains desperately. And so after several years of persistence, I finally kind of caved and was like, fine, I'll do learn to row and, you know, just get a sense of what this is all about. And I mean, absolutely fell in love with the sport. Um, I stuck on through my novice year. Rachel, you know this, you are my coach. Um, and I mean, I'm from Southern California. So being back around water for me was just magical. Um, watching the sunset on the river every day. One night, we actually got to hear a Paul McCartney concert that was happening in the stadium and we were on the river and we could hear the whole thing. It was it was just magical to, to be on the water and to kind of be with such a great group of people that were so inviting. I, I fell in love and have been rowing ever since. Yeah. One thing that I really um, appreciate about DC Strokes is how open and welcoming the community is. And I remember the first year that I joined at that time, we had a whole lot of huggers on the team. Yeah. And I just remember coming in the door and literally everyone, it was, you know, five o'clock in the morning and everybody was like high fives and hugs. And uh, that kept me, kept me coming back. And I'm glad that you had such a good time, your novice season. And I, as a coach did not scare you away and yeah. that, uh, you found what you were looking for there on, on the water. Uh, it's really on the edge of the city, but you really don't, once you're on the water, you're not thinking about downtown DC and all the shenanigans of Washington DC life. No, not at all. It, it's so peaceful. And it was such a great way to end it every day. Yeah. Well, DC Strokes is one of just a, a couple of clubs in the country that it has an LGBT mission. And that is a huge reason why people join and stick with it. I'm assuming that is also the case for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it, the club is facing kind of the same challenges that we're seeing somewhat kind of across the country, especially on the coast, where, you know, as queer culture becomes more integrated with, with kind of straight culture of, you know, we don't see the same need for queer specific spaces, for queer clubs, queer sporting clubs. 
queer bars. And so it's just interesting dynamic of, you know, we don't necessarily have the need for them, but there's still, I think, desire to have them around where, you know, we know that there's these guaranteed safe spaces and, you know, it's an interesting and strange problem and a strange time that we're in in that respect. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Breakwater Realty Group. Daydreaming of new lakes, rivers, and coastlines to row and play on? Consider a home in Maine. The Breakwater Realty Group, brokered by EXP Realty, can help you find your way home away from home or relocate to a new primary home with ease. Connect the team by visiting breakwaterrealtygroup.com and scheduling an obligation-free buying consultation. Maine, it's the way life should be. Listen to more episodes about everything from indoor rowing to rowing across oceans. Search the podcast archive at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast dash topics or listen on your favorite podcast app. In two, we're back with Bobby and David. That's one, two. Yeah, and rowing clubs can tend to be very fluid in terms of membership. So you might have one set of leadership at a rowing club that is pro-queer, pro-ally, pro-everything, and that's a big focus or it's at least, you know, not a non-issue. And then as things change and the people change in the club, like you see them go in waves like this. And it's important, I think, for clubs to have their kind of community agreements about these things. Do either of your clubs articulate uh, like a community agreement, like in this space, we are respectful in this space, we are paying attention and, and being empathetic and compassionate. Have I, either of you ever seen that in a club? We in DC Strokes, we have a member's handbook that articulates, and I, I can't recite it off the top of my head, but that very much goes into that. We are a welcoming environment. We are an inclusive environment and we welcome all people into the club. I think the only reason that we will not welcome someone into a boat is for safety reasons. Yeah, when I joined the club, I was so nervous because there was no visibility, right, of like, is this club going to be inviting or not? It certainly wasn't a queer specific club. So shortly after I joined, started to talk with them. And this was this was right around the time of George Floyd um, and some Black Lives Matter protests that were happening in town. And I brought it to the board to say, hey, um, do we have a diversity, equity, and inclusion sort of committee? Which they didn't. And uh, but they were very interested in creating one. So I ended up becoming the chair of that committee um, and later joined the board of directors. But one of the first things that we did was to come up with a, um, a diversity statement. And now it is prominent on our website that says SRRA strives to make rowing accessible to people of every background and ability, promotes diversity, equity, and inclusion in all we do. So we hope that that makes it clear to anyone that, uh, yes, we'll be a welcoming and inviting space. And I think that we're seeing more and more in that, uh, more and more of that uh, across the board from clubs who are, you know, their eyes are open. Their eyes are open to the need to change some old fashioned habits and and put down the welcome mat, as, which is a phrase that Tara and I picked up a while ago uh, from Richard Butler, but uh, put down the welcome mat to a much broader range of people in the community. And, you know, the next step is making sure that the entire board is on is on board and that the next board is on board and that uh, this becomes uh, the norm 
and not just something on a piece of paper and not just something on a website, but truly ingrained in, in a club's functionality. I think it's interesting that both of you are in clubs that, from what I can tell, don't have, I know DC Strokes doesn't have a juniors program. Does Spokane have a juniors program? No, it's been a goal for the organization for a long time, but there's been some logistics that have kept that from happening, but it, sure. we're still hoping. Yeah. Because when we spoke with coach Ann Strayer from Oakland yeah. um, in one of the other episodes in this series about how to use the popular term woke, you know, the kids are more so than I ever was growing up as a, as a young queer coming out in the eighties, we never would have imagined what we're seeing now about the fluidity of gender and the fluidity of sexuality being in the, you know, sub 12 year old set, maybe we have this opportunity to pay it forward in some sort of youth capacity, um, as well as working within our clubs and working on the upper level to U.S. rowing, which David, we want to ask you about um, the U.S. rowing side of things. But first, uh, we're hoping that we can lay some groundwork because we know our listeners may not be listening to these episodes in order. They might not be doing any homework around this. So we wanted to just sort of lay things out. And this is where we're going to talk about the U.S. rowing and the world rowing gender identity policies. Hey team, so we're all on the same page. We want to take a minute to give you a brief introduction to the world rowing and U.S. rowing gender identity policies. If you want even more information, we link to these policies in the show notes. First up, world rowing reads, a rower who was identified as an assigned woman and or female at the time of the rower's birth and did not transition to any other gender than woman by the time the rower reached puberty shall, unless the executive committee determines otherwise, be eligible to compete as a woman. All other rowers can row in the men's events. Point two, one criterion in case of a gender transition is that the rower's serum testosterone concentration has been less than 2.5 nanomules per liter continuously for a period of at least the previous 24 months. And then the U.S. rowing policy has been fashioned after the world rowing policy. And it's broken down by youth and adult athletes as well as collegiate athletes. For youth and adult athletes, they will be allowed to participate in a rowing activity in accordance with such athletes' expressed gender identity, irrespective of the sex listed on the athlete's birth certificate and regardless of whether the athlete has undergone any medical treatment subject to the eligibility procedures set forth. And as for collegiate athletes here in the U.S., they are under the jurisdiction of the NCAA, and they are subject to gender identity policy in World Rowing's rulebook, which is available at worldrowing.com. With this information in mind, we continue our conversation with Bobby and David. We wanted to throw out and ask David to help us designate for our listeners the how the words, the terms sex and gender are used interchangeably and how that's playing out in the policies that are coming forward. You're going to get my own personal view here, which is sex and gender are different words and have different meanings. And that's important to note. And that's one of my large problems with the policy as written is it really conflates the two. And in that respect is really problematic. So maybe to take a step back a second, I'm a mathematician by background. 
So I am incredibly focused on definitions and making sure that we have precision in language because that's that's important in the math world. So I think when most people talk about sex, they're thinking about biological factors. So, um, you know, kind of defining male and female. And there is not a medically consistent definition of sex that's out there. And this is part of what I find to be really problematic when we try to write use sex as a, a dividing category, because there's a certain amount of people who, who don't fit into, you know, whatever way you want to define that category. And that is, I mean, we're exclusionary. So I find that wildly problematic. When we talk about gender, we're talking about how a body navigates society. And so it's a very cultural issue um, of what makes someone kind of more masculine or feminine. And then there's an, what people like to call gender identity. And I have my own personal issues with this. I know there's a, a variety of perspectives on this. And I have a, probably hold an unpopular one. But people describe gender identity as the way that someone identifies with a sex. I don't know if, Bobby, you have a different opinion on that. But that's kind of the best way I found to characterize it. Yeah, I'm but- not exactly sure how U.S. rowing defines it, um, <laughs> but gender identity being a label that a person uses for themselves to identify their own understanding of their gender. I think that is different for different folks, that it might sometimes be, this is how I identify based on or in working with my physical body. Other times it's irrespective of that. And a person's like, this is who I am. And my physical body actually kind of betrays a lot of things about that. But this is still who I am. And this is my gender. So I really like to let people self-define that because they know themselves better than I do. And, and like most sports uh, up until this point, it's been a complete binary, you know, yeah. male and female. So even with these rather recent updates to world rowing and U.S. rowing gender inclusion policy, it can be challenging for trans and non-binary athletes within the general binary structure of rowing. So Bobby, I wanted to ask you, what did you notice about this when you began rowing in 2021? And can you tell us a bit about what you've been doing to help move the needle a little bit? Absolutely. First off, in my club, a wonderful thing is that it didn't matter because we just kind of mix our boats all the time and kind of whoever is there is different. Sometimes I would be rowing uh, with women, sometimes with men, sometimes with a mix. The way we did our lineups, it didn't really matter, um, which was wonderful. Uh, And they were also really supportive. I told them my pronouns right up front, you know, let them know I was non-binary. To some degree, I feel like it shouldn't be necessary to have to say, but in the context, it was really helpful because then, and everybody was respectful. There was a time or two where I would be misgendered. A person would use the wrong pronoun for me. And this is a really common experience for trans people. Uh, When that happens, to then worry or feel some sense of fear about what to do. Like, do we bring it up? Like, especially in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a segment, do I I correct the coach or the coxswain in the middle of that? Um, That would feel kind of awkward. Do I save it for later? Do I just like let it go and not say anything? Because sometimes that that's the thing to do. And unfortunately that always creates a moment of like stress and which is the last thing you want in your rower. You want your rowers to feel comfortable both for their own mental health, but also for their rowing. Their rowing is going to be better when they're relaxed and aren't thinking about something else. So that's one piece. And and I, I loved the way it played out with my club, but then I wanted to be in a regatta. The head of the lake in Seattle was coming up and I wondered how in the world can I participate as a non-binary person? 
I knew internally I am not going to be comfortable in an all men's boat. I was assigned a male at birth, but I am not comfortable in that setting. And I, I don't identify as male. So it wouldn't work for me. And also I didn't feel like rowing in a women's boat would work either. So it seemed like, oh, well, be in a mixed boat. Well, that sounded great until I started looking at the U.S. rowing rules at the time. It was 50% men, 50% women. And I'm like, so I still have nowhere to go. Um, and at the time I contacted the people at the, at the regatta and what they did is they set up, I was going to be in some sort of mixed boat, an exhibition boat. So we would get a time, we wouldn't be ranked, which is fine with me because I don't really care about the ranking. Um, but I just wanted to be able to participate. So that was good enough. Unfortunately, it got canceled due to weather, uh, but, uh, but it brought up this challenge of like, well, where in the world do I fit um, as a non-binary person? So then uh, later, I think some rules changed so that then there, well, and now this year, I know there, there's the open event and now there's mixed events where non-binary people are very included. Oh, this also came up because I wanted to do a sweep camp. Uh, I was a scholar at first and I wanted to learn how to sweep better. Um, and an opportunity came up at a, a camp that was hosted by Slack, which is the nation's oldest women's rowing club. And coach Chris Shannon was putting on a, uh, a sweep camp there. And I really wanted to do a camp. Um, I, again, same challenge. I know that I'm not going to feel comfortable at being at a men's boat sweep camp. I don't know if there are mixed ones, but it just seems like that's not a thing. There's certainly not a non-binary or just like all queer ally camp or something. Um, mm -hmm. So I sent her a message and I very, very kind of like, I remember the stress that I felt sending out this message to be like, would it be okay if I participate with you all? Like, I don't want to invade a women's space, but also I feel like that's actually where I would feel the most comfortable. Um, if I'm welcomed in and supported, then I will very likely fit in great and it'll be a wonderful experience. And very fortunately, uh, I was welcomed in um, and I made some great friends there and I'm still now in contact with some of the rowers I met. And there, there was some questions there. Uh, I know they had to go to the board and I know that there are some political things happening there, but it wasn't clear on the forefront whether I would belong or not. Fortunately, had a very positive experience, but kind of it's it's the unfortunate position of kind of trailblazing in ways like I'm the first non-binary rower they've had, adult rower that they've had participate in a program. I know they had some youth um, who are members. So it was like, it was a new thing. And it seems that just my existence is like pushing on different sorts of like boundaries and like no man's land kind of situations. You're like, what is out there and how is this going to land? Well, I think it's amazing that you braved that. I think there are some people who wouldn't go to a sweep camp because it's intimidating in the first place, you know, much less go and question whether you would feel included or not. And props to Zlack. So that's the Zlack is the club based out of San Diego. It was the oldest women's rowing club. Yeah, I think Zlack is the oldest women's rowing club in the country. So that brings me to this thought that Pocock Foundation just hosted Camp Lucy this yeah. last week, which is for female identifying non-binary youth to do 10 days. And they had rigging workshops and rowing and all the things. And I think it was free. And they're like we were talking earlier about today's kids. Um, 
you know, there's definitely a need for that. And I think Pocock Foundation is doing an excellent job of creating a fun, inclusive opportunity. So maybe we can get them to do a grown-up version of that, right? That would be really fun. And one thing, a, a you know, we talked we talked to a coach, Zoe Vase of Camp Lucy, and um she really made it clear to us that that kids are thinking about gender much differently than us old farts and that <laughs> and that the kids at the start of camp wanted to introduce themselves and use their pronouns and that there was a day that like the coaches at camp didn't ask the kids to um state their pronouns and they're like hey coach you forgot you know and um I think that's really brilliant and something that a lot of us are either trying to get comfortable with, trying to make a part of um, part of our clubs. But I've also thought it's interesting that some clubs would rather not. And this comes back to something you were saying, Bobby, like, do we even talk about it? So I think we do. Oh, I think we have to talk yeah. about it. <laughs> um, and it's only... I'll use the word privileged um, in a privileged situation where one might not. Um, I remember in my cult multicultural counseling class years ago where we were talking about race. I, growing up in a white neighborhood, in a white family, and me being white, we didn't talk about race. But learning that people of color talk about race all the time because it's salient and because they have to, to like survive and because they're there are inequities in the world. And if we don't talk about it, then we can't bring them to light, do anything with them. If we're going to actually be inclusive, we have to be having these conversations. We have to talk about pronouns. They're important. People use them differently. And you know, we have to talk about names, a preferred name or what a person goes by uh, is absolutely critical. I mean, it is part of who they are. Um, and if a person, if a person doesn't care, they could opt out. They could say, use whatever pronouns you want for me, or like, you know, a person on an individual basis could believe whatever. Um, but as a club, I think we have to allow that um, so we know how to talk about people and we know how um, people talk about themselves. Absolutely. David, what's been your experience with coming out as non-binary in within DC Strokes? Was that something that people needed help with? So I'll get to the answer, but I want to fill in one piece of backstory is I kind of came out as non-binary, though I used a little bit different label for it when I was 17, um, which for reference was last millennium. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I have a lovely collection of books behind me that, I mean, the talk about people who have similar experiences and similar stories that I read when I was in college, which again, was not recent. So, you know, I think these concepts aren't new. I think they're just new to a lot of people. Very early on in my rowing career, um, I ended up with some time off my novice year. And so I ended up coming down and coxing for our competitive team in the morning because that's where the boy over at the time rode. And I, I was incredibly nervous because here I am like a novice coxswain and I'm coxing for the, a club team and the boat's about to go off to the head of the Charles. And the first thing that happened was the stroke seat found out that I was coxing for them. And they literally stormed out of the boathouse to find the coach and say, I don't want this novice coxswain in my boat. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, I want the better coxswain. You need to swap out this coxswain for someone else. And I really decided right then and there, I was never going to be that person. Whatever seat my coach put me in, I was going to shut up and row that seat. Um, and in my 11 years, I've 
deliberately because of that made a choice to not make it an issue. Um, when I started rowing, U.S. rowing really didn't have a gender identity policy in any way. Um, my coaches always boated me with the men. Um, during practice, we were always, you know, kind of who was there was who was in the boat. The men were intentionally mixed with the women and everybody just rowed together. Um, racing is where, you know, we obviously had to follow U.S. rowing policy and be more divided. And coaches generally assumed that I was male and stuck me in with the men. And I was like, sure, you know, whatever, I'm not going to fight with it. Um, when U.S. rowing passed their their first gender identity policy, which I think was in around 2015 or 2016, I went to our programs director and said, look, you know, my license does not say male, nor does it say female. So what am I supposed to do? Because I don't fit. You know, this was the, the era of you had to row with whatever you had, whatever document said that you were. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I think I asked like two or three subsequent program directors and, and nobody ever knew what the answer was. And so I kind of just continued to kind of shut up and row with the men in racing. And so with the most recent policy change, it basically is mean, meant that I can't race, right? As a non-binary person, I can't row male, I can't row female. You know, I, I can row in a mixed boat, but I don't count as one of the women because those have to be female assigned to birth. So it's it's a very strange place to be. And then, you know, I actually had a conversation with Jess Jackson right after the, the policy was released. And there was this notion of, well, we're, we're going to have this open gender category and anybody can row in that category. And, you know, I'm looking at Masters Nationals this year, which is the first year where that should have been a thing. And I believe that, I mean, there were over 200 events at Masters Nationals. There were two open gender category races. Both were open. So they weren't even Masters races. Um, if you can't figure out by the when I came out era, I am in my 40s. I am sick of racing 20-year-olds. <laughs> they are going to win. And so, mm -hmm. and they're, they're both two Xs, which, you know, I'm like, I don't, what do you do if you're a sweep rower? What if you do if you don't have a rowing partner or have access to a two X on a regular basis? So it pretty much means that since I've switched to sculling, I, I haven't raced, right? Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be incumbent upon me as a rower to have to go to US rowing and say, hey, I really want to go to this event where you have over 200 categories. Could you please make like a couple, like more than one that I could compete in? Because I really want to show up and it's to travel for a four-day regatta to maybe row one race. That's not worth it. I'm not even going to bother to spend the time to call them or email them and ask for that. There's some element of pushing the envelope, but then it's also the exhaustion of being that trailblazer. Well, this leads me to something that I think we were going to get at a little bit later, but this is a perfect time to ask. So uh, for both of you, what's your proposed solution maybe for organizing rowing and racing specifically? Well, that, that's a big, big topic. I might get to that in a second. Um, I have found that U.S. rowing has been pretty uh, responsive when I have messaged and been like, okay, like, what do we do here? How can there be a category for me? In fact, last year, before the updated policy, they had um, a bunch of open forum community roundtable conversations over Zoom. I participated in the one that was for trans and non-binary people. And I, I remember one of the things that I plugged there was the open category, um, because I personally like the idea of uh, racing in and participating in boats where we all can celebrate our respective genders in who we are, and we can be allies for one another, 
and we can all row together. Very similar to what the Allies of Thor's eight was at the head of the Charles, which I'm guessing was an expedition category also. It actually wasn't. We were part of the Director's Cup uh, challenge event where they have rules on what should be a mixed boat, but we had uh, non-binary, trans, queer, queer ally, but we were in a, in a regular, you know, quote, unquote, but anyway, sorry. And and honestly, we threw caution to the wind and we just put eight people in a boat and we're like us rowing or head of the Charles can make a stink if they want to. And nobody did. Yeah. It kind of seems like that. That is sometimes the approach to have is just do it and see what happens. Um, and so I was really excited about this open category. Um, I am also a person who isn't super competitive, which might bias me some, but I just want to get out on the water with different people um, and want there to be as much diversity as there can be. Um, unfortunately, though, then the way it's rolled out, it has been that it's all, it's, like you said, David, it's in the, the pair or maybe the two by. No, it's, it's in the two by. Double, yeah. In the double. And so I'm, I was like, well, what what about an open eight or an open quad? Um, So that's been challenging. And then particularly with uh, with juniors, I hadn't realized because I'm relatively new to rowing rowing, that juniors don't have mixed boats, or at least they haven't historically. And I was looking at the juniors, uh, the junior nationals, and there there isn't mixed categories. So the only way a non-binary person can participate, there isn't the opportunity of being one of those non-women in a, in a mixed quad or eight. That now, if they identify as non-binary on the paperwork, which you, you know you can do for the year with U.S. rowing, is they're stuck with only one, the single or that double event. Um, so they can't row with the rest of their team. And there's no way to like be like, well, I always row with the women and that was my assigned gender. Um, so I want to row with them also. You can't do that. So that's really limited. I know some juniors, non-binary rowers that I've known. So just mm. to like be super clear here in case, just because I want to make sure I'm not being super dense. So the mixed events, it says boat, yeah. boat entries in this category must consist of 50% athletes of any gender. And that's where that's where the issue lies, right? Not that it's of any sex, but of any gender. I think it's the second half of that, which is the problem for me, uh, which is, and 50% athletes assigned female at birth. Mm-hmm, okay. So if, it, if you have a trans woman, she does not count as a female in that boat, even though she could row in a women's single event. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you get the feeling that they're still holding tight to protect uh, and this is our segue into icons, mm. um, protect women's rowing, fairness in women's rowing is the words that are used. Mm-hmm. That type of uh, rule makes me feel like there's this sort of bubble around um, assigned female at birth and this protection. What do you think about this icons and their position? What's your response? I think it's offensive, right? I mean, I think anyone who's going to sit here and married a Connell to this multiple times throughout the podcast, who anyone who refers to trans women is anything but women, like mm-hmm. that's to me not okay. Like that's not okay to call people who are women men who are confused. That's for me just flat out wrong. Um, so that that's really bothersome. And to to do it under the guise of protecting women by excluding some other women, I think is really problematic. I don't like that. 
I also don't really buy the fairness argument. You know, I, I've read a lot of the academic literature on trans people in sports. And again, if you if you really dive into some of these scientific studies, they remind me a lot of studies about African-American people from the 50s, where they're just, I mean, they state in the assumptions, you know, trans women have higher muscle mass and they're taller. And so therefore they possess a physical advantage. And like, that's, that's the assumption. You're like, but you're a scientist. Shouldn't you be trying to demonstrate that through data or, you know, do some kind of unbiased testing, you know, kind of what we expect from scientists. Um, and they, they don't do that at all. Um, there's actually a Canadian study that did a meta study that really went through all of the literature that was out there. And they threw out these ones that were just like, we assume this from the offset. And they look at the hard data and they've shown that trans women don't really hold an advantage in most sports over cis women. And I think the reality is under the guise of fairness, there are certain bodies that are always going to do better at certain sports, right? As a 41-year-old, five, six-tall person, I'm not going to the Olympics for rowing, right? It doesn't matter how hard I train or what I do, unless I lose 20 pounds and become a coxswain, like I'm not going. So to say that, oh, well, there might be someone who might take someone else's seat seems absurd to me. Like, I think we're dividing categories the wrong way. You know, I think we're all in the sport to enjoy it, to have a good time. And we acknowledge that, you know, we dividing categories based on age. It's unfair to have a 20 year old row against an 80 year old. We acknowledge that it's unfair to have someone who's a lightweight race, a heavyweight. Why aren't we dividing possibly on height? I think that's probably one of the better divides for rowing than, than sex. I've rowed with plenty of women who, um, would kick my ass in a boat. Um, I recently wrote a, a double where I got a row stroke in the double. And I was like, this 25 year old woman who's behind me, who is six inches taller than me, is dragging my old ass down the river. I am contributing nothing to this boat. And at the same time, there's plenty of men that I will smoke in a single. It just depends. But I don't think that sex is the biggest segregator. I do want to add, it would be ignorant to ignore the history of women in sports, right? Like, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here and say, oh, well, we're at this point where everything's fine and we have complete gender and sex equality because 50 years ago we didn't and we sure don't today. I think things have gotten better and we need to be cognizant of that history and not repeat it. But I don't find that excluding women or men to be a viable option. One thing I wanted to add on, I think everybody can admit that sports aren't fair because of what, like what David just said. Uh, there, there is a, a myth um, in, in majority culture, I think, that uh, one can try hard enough. Uh, I mean, the phrase is pulling oneself up by their bootstraps, that you can try hard enough and somehow win um, or somehow change one's standing in life. And that may be the case for some people from certain backgrounds or with certain abilities. Um, but if a person is 5'2", you can't just try harder or even be the most technical rower in the world and beat the 6'7 the rower. Um, it's just not going to happen. And so it is an inherently unfair. So we have to try to work with that in some sort of way and excluding a group of people um, because they might be taller or might have different muscle mass. Uh, is not reasonable at all. And it, it really feels like actually recreating the problem of doing things like policing women's bodies um, 
like there's a history of that in the world. And if we got just a piece of liberation from that for a time, why, why recreate that? Also reminds me of, of other civil rights movements where, I mean, there's a big, I, I really do want to honor the Title IX fights and the, the protests that, that Mary O'Connor did at Yale and with the, the administration, because like, that's what it takes sometimes to move society to different places. But I think what, one thing we're seeing in the trans community and, and in many other minority communities is once, once a step gets taken, um, we have to keep fighting and, and keep taking steps for other populations as well. And a really cool thing, I think, about the youth that you were talking about, and adults for that matter, but especially the youth who are trans and non-binary, it's not just about gender. They're like, we understand what, it, what it's like to be marginalized, and we don't want anybody to be marginalized. So we want to make spaces for people who are, you know, have differing abilities or for people of color. I, I see a lot less of like, I'm only going to care about this one cause that I happen to be a part of. And instead a let's all do this together because the world really is a better place if there aren't marginalized people because we've made a place for everyone. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't highlight that these are the same arguments that were used against inclusion of Black people, right? Absolutely. Black people used to be excluded from shorts because it was the myth that, you know, they had higher muscle mass, that they didn't feel pain. And we're recycling the same arguments for racial minorities, for sex and gender minorities, and we're just doing it all over again. And I, it's frustrating that we keep having these same fights and that we also don't acknowledge that 1.8% of the population that is born without a sex, they're considered intersex. They don't fit into a male or female assigned at birth category. And we are just not even considering those folks. And I think, you know, along with with trans people, non-binary people, we're just closing those boathouse doors to a huge population. So David, I know that in the not too distant past, maybe within the last six months-ish, you became a new member of U.S. Rowing's DEI committee. Can you talk about kind of what led to that and what you've seen and heard as part of that committee? Sure. Um, I've been getting U.S. Rowing's emails for the better part of, well, I guess, more than a decade now. Um, and I think I just got frustrated with constantly responding to a lot of them being like, I hate you, you suck, and this is why. Um, you know, especially with the new gender inclusion policy, which I find to be very exclusive. Um, I saw the call for new DEI members and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to make a difference rather than just constantly complain about it. So I've been on the committee for, I think, two and a half-ish months now. And it, it's been slow going. Um, I think a lot of the committee members, our hearts are really in a good place and trying to do the right thing. I just think there's a lot of institutional inertia that is really stopping them from from making a lot of progress with U.S. rowing. One of the things that I I highlighted for the committee after our last meeting was that it felt like that U.S. rowing was really coming to the DEI committee after they had done everything and just kind of be like, hey, we did this. And a lot of us were like, why would you do that? Like, that's that's a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. And so I think you know, the committee is, it's only two or three years old and is really trying to find its place and trying to find out how it, it can work with U.S. Rowing to make U.S. Rowing a more inclusive place. And I, th- I think we need to find a way to be more proactive with U.S. Rowing and kind of get ahead of what they're doing. The last meeting, there, there were two things that were raised that really struck me as, as strange. One was they had put together this entire training plan of how they were going to start to like kind of certify and accredit clubs, including part of which was for diversity and inclusion. 
And, you know, my, my question was, well, how are you going to do that for clubs that are probably ahead of U.S. rowing in terms of diversity and inclusion and don't need to take the training from U.S. rowing? And so now you're going to mark them down as, you know, not being inclusive. What is your plan to, you know, kind of grandparent in these clubs that have already been doing the DEI work? They can probably teach U.S. rowing a thing or two about DEI. You know, they also hosted at youth, youth nationals down in Florida because they acknowledge that Florida is problematic for a lot of rowers. You know, they hosted uh, a BIPOC event. And, you know, I asked the question, uh, did you do anything to do this virtually so that people who, you know, were following the NAACP travel warning about going to Florida could participate? And they're like, no. I'm like, so, so people who feel comfortable in the space, you're completely fine continuing to kind of exclude them from that space. So after U.S. Rowing's new gender inclusion policy came out, um, I wrote for DC Strokes a new gender inclusion policy um, that basically followed the format of U.S. Rowing's policy and did the best that I could to try to correct it to kind of align with the values that I think DC Strokes represents, which is that our goal is to put people in boats. And, you know, we we used to have a competitive team. Our, our club has had struggled a little bit in recent years since the pandemic. But, you know, get people in boats, make those boats go fast, right? And we wrote the policy to say we want people to row. I mean, unfortunately, even at DC Strokes, we've had trouble keeping female rowers around, keeping trans rowers around, keeping non-baronary rowers around, you know, even as in, you know, warm and welcoming and inclusive as we try to be, you know, I have watched non-binary rowers go through learn to row and give up when they keep correcting the coach to use the correct pronoun. And even being there as a coxswain to help out, I will just sit there and every time they say, oh, okay, three seat, you know, she needs to do this. I'm like, they, and, you know, I don't know how much the coach can hear me over the speakers in the boat, but I'm like, we have to stop this because, you know, even we have trouble maintaining and recruiting people. And so I can't imagine what it's like in a, a non-LGBT club. And one thing, you know, I'm, I try to be really honest about is that I'm always learning, right? I'm a, a cisgender ally of the community. And, and since day one of joining DC Strokes in 2010, my learning trajectory has been up and up and up and up and up, and I'm always learning. And, and, you know, David, when you were talking about your first few years with the team and not knowing where you fit in and talking with the board, I mean, I have to be really honest, like at that point when I was coaching, we weren't, I think as a community, and I mean that in, in a lot of ways, like the local and a larger community talking about pronouns. Like I just, I wasn't even thinking about that. And so I want to apologize for 10 years too late, that this isn't a conversation that you and I had as rower and coach. I assumed I made assumptions. He, him, David, goes in with them dudes like that's what I thought and that's what we did and and I wish that that was a conversation that you and I had uh, because there were a handful of of non-binary athletes that came through the program that I kind of worked with the board to determine like what what do we do here and it was a total learning curve um, and DC Strokes like you said it's an LGBT club but figuring it out season over season and I wish looking back that when we did our team huddle at the beginning of each season, that we really got to know each other. And I wish that I had asked, how do you identify? What are your pronouns? 
And then we move forward into the season from there. That would have really helped me get to know my rowers a whole lot better and make decisions about how to move forward with boating and racing and created opportunities for athletes who may have walked away. And, and I'm kind of sad looking back at it. I'm hoping that I've made up for that over the years <laughs> and that in kind of deep diving into this series with Tara that I'm learning a bunch and we're helping to educate a lot of folks along the way. Well, thank you. And yeah. I've, I've never been offended by you. I do my best to look and try to look, find people's intention. Right. So if I've never corrected someone and they use he, him pronouns and I let it go, like, how does anybody know any different? Um, you know, where I take offense is when I've told someone like I use they, them, and it seems like they're deliberately, you know, going after me like, oh, well, I'm going to go out of my way to find, to use third person pronouns in front of you. And you're like, why? Like, you know, call me, like, call me Bousy, call me one, call me, call me David. Yeah. And, oh. and, and this is something we've talked a lot about with coaches and kind of old school folks who are like trying to get used to the language. Right. And, and so many people are like, how do I say they, how do I say them? And work around it. If you're not comfortable, use somebody's name. And there's so many other ways. We can have a whole other discussion about that. We should put together some some ideas for, for coaches and boards. Yeah. Many people also change over time and their pronouns change over time. Um, some are even gender fluid and change them quite frequently. And um, I know, Rachel, you were apologizing for like the, the missed opportunity of a single moment, but that's something that actually has to be recreated all the time because we don't know what's happened in a person's life over the last period of time or what they may have been thinking about for a long time and are just now revealing um, that they may not have said yet, but to give them the opportunity. Um, I, I think it was Terry, you were talking about um, at, at Camp Lucy where they do that every time because that's sometimes it's just what you gotta do to be able to communicate and see people clearly. So very important to do so. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Bobby, what are some projects you've been doing to connect rowing, mental health and connect all those dots together and create a more inclusive, wonderful world? Yes, absolutely. One thing I do in, uh, in the club is to actually sometimes bring some mindfulness into our rowing. Um, and so we will sometimes pause and just breathe together, or sometimes even before we get out on the water, there's a check-in of like, hey, how are we all doing today? Um, you know, somebody's coming in in a particularly anxious mood or, or the boat begins to rock, you know, there can be a lot of uh, anxiety built up or it can just be you know, a bad day for somebody. And sometimes having the patience to slow down and take a breath together uh, can really help unify. Also teaching at our club, I teach that uh, anybody can say way enough um, for whatever reason, because if there's something going on, even if it's in something invisible, um, obviously if somebody like catches a crab or there's something like you know, physically going on with the boat, we can do that. But to teach that also, you know, if I'm in the middle of a, having a panic attack, like I need to be able to say way enough and to give people the power and voice to do that. Um, and we actually practice that. So in the beginning, in the first couple of sessions of Learn to Row is like practice that. Okay, here's your voice. Let's hear you say way enough. But another thing I'm doing, which is really cool, is um, I started a rowing group therapy. I'm a therapist in private practice, and I loved how rowing helped my mental health and seemed to be helping the rowers in my club. And I thought, what a fantastic way to, to lead a group therapy is to have us row together. 
So I slowly invested in a lot of used ergs and now have nine rowing machines in my waiting room. And uh, we get together once a week and we get on the indoor rowing machine for 45 minutes, more or less. And then we do a long-term talk therapy for 45 minutes. Um, and sometimes we talk a little bit about the rowing, you know, of course, the like frustrations that that has, or some days where it just like feels like we're really on it. And then we just talk about life. So it kind of builds relationships and builds connections with one another. And that has been fantastic. And then about a month ago, we were able to get on the water. So we got actual on water rowing and it's, it's amazing. Cause they're like, you know, all the stuff that rowers that, that, that I talk about, like, oh my gosh, I got on the water and I forgot everything. Um, but then also it leads to some um, connection, some kind of unique connection, one rower, one group member to another. Um, and they're loving it. And it's been uh, really fantastic. So as far as I know, I'm going to keep doing it ongoing into the future. That sounds like a brilliant, brilliant idea and brilliant program that you've put together. Truthfully, I think that sort of a, a row followed by discussion should happen at every club in any program. I would love to do that once a week with my teammates to talk, unload, get to know them better. Mm. Um, and it's, it can only be good to help build team yeah. and camaraderie. I would really encourage, um, you know, people from all different boathouses um, in the nation to encourage some collaboration. I happen to be both a rower and a, and a therapist, but that actually complicates some um, because then it puts me in the role of I'm kind of a rowing coach and also a therapist at the same time. And that can be complicated. Um, it's something I kind of have to somehow keep straight and talk about with some of my participants. Um, but what would really be really helpful is to reach out to somebody who maybe is a rower in your club also, or reach out to some therapists and be like, hey, you do some yoga therapy. Have you ever considered working with rowers instead? Um, they could come out on the water. You could maybe teach them how to row, or it could be like an in, you know, in the in the boathouse on the erg thing, where then a therapist helps facilitate the like, okay, now we're talking about kind of surface level stuff. What if we go a couple layers down and talk about some of the real emotions that are happening? either on the rowing machine, on the boat, or just in life in general. I think that would be a great collaborative uh, possibility for any boathouse that would really, you know, affect lives, affect our rowers in even a deeper way. Well, I know that this is something that Tara and I have really been intrigued about. So we're going to check back in with you and see how it goes. Great. All right. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation, eye-opening, educational, thoughtful Thank you so much for taking so much of your evening to chat with us. We really appreciate you being here and we really re wanted to bring your voices to this table and this conversation. You're welcome. Very honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you for allowing a diverse set of voices to be heard. To see photos of Bobby and David and to get links to the people, policies, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by RowSource, providing creative design services for clubs, organizations, and regattas. Begin your free consultation at rowsource.com. Um, hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Yeah, we also get together on Instagram Live for coffee chat every Friday morning at 8 a.m. West, 11 East. We bring that post-practice coffee with teammates vibe online to talk with the community about all things rowing. 
Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation. And get more information when you subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter. This episode was written, produced, hosted, and edited by me, Tara Morgan. And me, Rachel Friedman. Tara provides additional audio engineering and is our sponsor coordinator. And Rachel manages our website, social media, and e-newsletter. Our theme music is by Jonas Hipper. Between us, we have nearly 40 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience. Tara is based on Vashon Island, Washington. She founded Seize the Oar Foundation in 2010, is fanatic about coaching Learn to Row, and believes the pair is the best boat. Rachel is a longtime rower, coach, and coxswain in Washington, D.C. She's the owner of RowSource and is a tiny bit squeamish about sculling. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Steady State Network, Seize the Oar, and RowSource. Steady State Podcast is made possible with listener support. Become a patron today for early access to episodes, discounts on SSN swag, and invitations to patron-only events. Join us at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash Patreon. Coming up on the next episode, the world's toughest row is a 2,800-mile race across the Pacific Ocean. On June 12, 2024, teams will leave Monterey, California and race to Kauai, Hawaii via unsupported, man-powered ocean rowing boats. Hannah Huppy, Philip Doyle, and Hunter Duell of Horizon Racing join us to talk about training, their goal of breaking the mixed four world record for rowing across the mid-Pacific Ocean, and about fundraising for Laureus Sport for Good USA. Catch new episodes of Steady State Podcast every other weekend, anywhere you get podcasts. In two, way enough, that's one, two.